Welcome to The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Today, as part of our family, you will experience the life-changing and spirit-nurturing Word of God. Please enjoy this time with us as we're committed to helping you grow in knowledge, grow in faith, and grow in God. St. Mark Baptist Church, you grow here. Well, hello and welcome to the Growth Factor podcast, a broadcast ministry of the St. Mark Baptist Church here in Little Rock, Arkansas. My name is Pastor John Richards. I'm the pastor of Assimilation here at St. Mark, and I'm your co-host, and I'm here with my co-host, our senior pastor, Pastor Philip L. Pointer Sr., and we have started out a season called Knockoff Spirituality. Knockoff Spirituality, John. And we've been dealing with these knockoff spiritualities, and last week we talked about it's in the cards, mm-hmm. tarot cards, uh, palm reading. We unpacked that a little bit. This week, we talking about your mama. Your mama. <laughs> we're talking about your mama. We're talking about deifying, calling on the ancestors and whether that is a spiritual practice that those who are followers of Jesus Christ should be engaging in. Yeah, and it's something that's very unique to the African-American context, right? Because we are a people who have a history of knowing our ancestors and recognizing our ancestors. But as Christians, we also want to make sure that we're biblically faithful in the way that we do that. And we've seen this practice kind of increase in our culture today where people are starting to call on their ancestors. Yeah. We have family albums around our house. Mm-hmm. We definitely know our history. Uh, we've done DNA tests. Uh, you know, Gates has helped us to figure out where we're from, who yeah. we with. Yeah. But we have, in some instances, actually have made altars to our ancestors and have been praying to ancestors in some context in in the Christian space. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do in our podcast today is talk about your ancestors, talk about your mom and them, your grandmom and them, and see how we can unpack, first of all, the history of calling the ancestors. Because as we've mentioned before, there's nothing new. This is something that is a historical reality that has happened since the beginning of time. But what is that practice? How we unpack that practice is going to help us understand what the Bible says about that. And, and it starts with this Greek word. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, John, I want to I wanna make sure people grasp what this subject matter is really about. Um, we're talking about people trying to communicate or claiming to communicate with dead relatives in the past. Um, and so persons they know or knew in their lifetimes, a, a parent, a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle, and some claim even ancestors that go back farther mm. uh, than that. And that, that Greek word um, is necromancy, or that's the, our English word, necro, um, is about a corpse or the dead, and uh, mantea uh, is about divination by specific means. It's literally trying to raise or communicate with the dead. Mm. That is um, what we're talking about. And so when you talk about calling on the ancestors, um, you're saying that I want to raise that person's soul or spirit um, or, or 
cross whatever and uh, a spiritual plane there is to communicate with that person uh, and that somehow that person knows what I should be doing with mm-hmm. my life. And again, as it relates to relationships and romance and money and, and just character, um, people uh, say their ancestors tell them to, to take time to themselves, <laughs> those kinds of things. Um, th- that's, that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you said, it's not, a, it's not new. Um, it's an ancient practice, which is why some people believe it's legit. Right. Yeah, yeah. Talk, talk about that. Yeah, so in the ancient Near East, they would have, and we'll see this over and over again, the Israelites had a culture that surrounded them that had these practices. And this practice, specifically necromancy, and trying to communicate with the dead, was actually a practice that occurred in the ancient ancient Near East. So there they would be able to communicate with the dead who would in turn bestow a blessing upon you for either communicating with them or even in some instances building these altars with gold and other items around them. And we see this also in Egyptian culture, right? Yep, yep. Um, the pyramids, the tombs of all the pharaohs, They put all this gold and other things in here to bestow on the dead so that they can, in turn, be blessed. And we saw that with the Book of the Dead Mm -hmm. um, in Egyptian culture. They had this whole cult that practiced trying to communicate with the dead. So we, we see this all throughout, woven throughout the ancient cultures, and it's something that is not new in practice Uh, But the 21st century, we've seen kind of a a revival in this particular practice and specifically in the black church. You know, we have a really, really unique experience as African-Americans with the Middle Passage, Mm -hmm. having come over here from the motherland and understanding the practices that we had prior to coming over here uh, and then trying to, in some instances, because we can talk about this on another episode, but we do know that Africans didn't come over here as a tabula rasa, a blank slate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There was a spirituality that was occurring before they got on them boats. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. In, in terms of spiritual practice here, they were trying to, in a sense, figure out what the best spiritual practices were going to be for them um, who were probably newly converted Christians or either bringing some form of Christianity over with them um, in order to honor their past as they work their faith practice in the present. Yep. I think that's what a lot of people are still trying to process. And there's a lot of trauma wrapped in that mm-hmm. because of the white supremacy that's been wrapped in some Christianity and other things. But I think in terms of the black church, we've seen this in specific ways, right? Uh, you've pastored for decades and you know, that when folks put names on pews or have ancestors' yeah. names, yeah. they're trying to honor their ancestors in yeah. ways, but some, in some instances, it becomes idolatrous, right? Right, right. So, um, I mean, and there's so much there. So you talked about the trauma associated um, with the whitewashing of, of following Jesus Christ. So following Jesus is an African, they call it Asian, it, it's African, <laughs> it's an African religion. It's an African faith. Um, the first seminary in the world was in Alexandria, Egypt. Talk about uh, it. Th- those things are 
real and they are a part of the the um, African experience of 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 ancient times. So what what ends up happening, uh, John, is people want to connect, reconnect with African identity, mm. but the version of Christianity they have heard or been exposed to is the whitewashed version that was in many ways perverted in Europe. And so they believe I cannot fully embrace following Jesus because that is white. Mm. Yeah. So let me find the African way of connecting spiritually and the African way that a lot of people have adopted is this ancestral worship. Mm. Um, I, I used the term last week, I'm going to use it again this week, this idea of syncretism, um, taking some of the faith or some of the principles of, you know, what we call Christianity being a follower of Jesus and mingling, mixing it with other things. So ancestral religion, some people claim to be followers of Jesus Christ and venerate their ancestors with altars and things like that and you're supposed to change out the water and make sure it's clean and those kinds of things and put out fresh fruit you know the, whatever um other elements uh are are there to honor them and then your ancestors will communicate with you as you meditate um and and do those kinds of things mm-hmm. um and 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 again we we didn't those who are um, african descendants of slaves did not come over in a vacuum, and this is a. There's a lot to unpack there, man. Mm-hmm. Um, you said we're not a. We weren't a blank slate. Not all enslaved Africans were um, practicing indigenous religion. Yeah. Some were indigenous, had tri- having tribal um, practices of religion. Some were Muslim. Mm-hmm. Uh, some were Christian. Prior to the Middle Passage, yeah. um, and and there's there's history, there are documents of uh, even in uh, South America of a Catholic bishop asking for enslaved Africans to be freed on the basis of the fact that they were already Christians. Yeah. Um, early in uh, the, the the slave trade, um, and that evil time of history, and so um, not only is it wrong to suggest uh, that Christianity was forced upon Mm. um, those enslaved persons as a means of control. It's also wrong to act as if that's all they could grab onto Mm. and therefore (laughs) that's that's what they did. No, many Africans brought Christianity with them in the same way many brought Islam with them and in the same way some brought those tribal um, religions with them. And we, we see the, the outgrowth of that. Um, uh, one of the things, uh, Key and I like to travel. That's one, of our, that's one of our big things. And one of the things we note and we laugh about uh, is when you're talking about uh, black folks in all the parts of the world that we've been to, we've been to uh, some, uh, some, some significant places, uh, some diverse places, and our, our joke is we're the same everywhere. <laughs> we're the same everywhere. Yep. Uh, you, there's always somebody that looks like somebody you already know, <laughs> that acts like somebody you know. Uh, we have the same behaviors and, 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 uh, and those kinds of things. Mm. Um, and, and so there are some things that are inherent to our experience 
um, and inherent to what we've been handed down just as a part of the African diaspora. For mm-hmm. instance, shouting. Yep. The um, ring shout, right? Ring shouting. So when we shout in church, that's the that's a part of it. it it's not limited to one faith. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, shouting. Um, uh, the idea that the preacher is a special kind of spiritual more than the pew person is. Uh, the, the notion of kind of the witch doctor kind of thing, which mm-hmm. is why people like their preachers to be flashy sometimes. Yeah. Um, they're supposed to be they're supposed to be um, more spiritual and 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 look that way. Uh, and so those those things are a part of our. The one is not stolen from the other. Christianity didn't steal shouting from <laughs> African tribal religion, and Christianity did not steal. Um, that it's it's common. It, mm. it was a part of how those persons, all persons, expressed their um, spirituality. Yeah, and part of the reason I think that false narrative was created that, oh yeah, we had to actually convert them over from this pagan religion was so that they could see them as less than and not mm. brothers and sisters in Christ. Because early on, they were wrestling with this idea, what does conversion mean? in light of what Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote about mm-hmm. you now becoming uh, a Christian. Uh, what do I do with the book of Philemon? Right, Like right. they literally strip text out of Scripture in order to, quote-unquote, convert folks mm-hmm. who were already Christian in some instances. But for them to see them as pagan, as outsiders, and normalizing or making normative the white, um, European experience in America, that was something easy for them to be able to say, okay, now we're converting these pagans, but at the same time, we're not going to teach you the whole counsel of God. Right. Because that's going to actually mess with us again economically. Yeah. Because our whole economy is built on us treating you as less than being created in God's image. But again, we were able to endure those things as African Americans. We're able to bring our culture in and cultivate and adapt Mm -hmm. what it is that they were doing to fit our culture. And Mm -hmm. that's where we got the black church today. And I think that, you know, when we look at that, and we're going to be talking about this in our Roddy E. Collins School of Ministry in the Stand Your Ground track with our black church class. We're going to really unpack some of that. I want to encourage you all, if you haven't already done so, at the time of this recording, please go and and um, register for that. But I think it's important for us to know that history so that we can see that, hey, we have a very unique contribution to the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that uh, unique contribution, we have to continue to be faithful in our practice in a biblical way. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and what we're trying to drive at is that ancestral worship, is not more black <laughs> than than being a follower of Jesus who believes the Bible. Mm. Um, you, you're not being more true to your African roots by doing ancestral um, worship and religious practices. That is not more black than this faith that we have mm-hmm. um, that follows Jesus Christ, who is an African Jew. Hmm. who comes from African Jews, whose progenitor Abraham was part 
of uh, an uh, African project to build, or, or his foreparent uh, part of an African project to build, what we call the Tower of Babel, um, in what they now call the Middle East. That you, you, who escaped the Jesus who hid out in Egypt among dark people because he was also dark. It's not more black. Mm to worship your ancestors than it is to worship Jesus Christ. That's it is good. not more black. Uh, and in fact, um, one, of the, one of the greatest lies that, that many people have been told is that what we call orthodox Christianity mm. is white theology. Yeah. All the way to atonement, um, they believe that white people say it Jesus died for your sins, and that's not, that's not African. But y'all, this book was written and mentions atonement and, and is clear about the purpose of, of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and our need for forgiveness and grace. It was written and read and preached before anybody white, mm. Mm. European that is, before any Europeans were converted. Yeah. The, the concept of the atonement, the cross being for the sake of atonement, that it's not just political. It is political. It is because of power and, and economics and, and, and to maintain um, uh, an, an upper hand over the oppressed. It is that. Jesus did present a threat to, uh, to um, the, the vassal king, Herod, and, and, and those uh, kinds of persons. They, he did present a threat to their rule and their reign, but, and he also, and more so, mm. came to die for sin. Yeah. And the Africans who were the early believers in Jesus Christ are the ones who passed that theology down through the scripture and the church fathers are unanimous in that the death of the Lord Jesus Christ was for the sake of atonement. Mm. You know, P, when you, when, you, when I usually get a new item and I take it out the box, I'm very bad about this. I don't read the instructions. Mm-hmm. I just try to figure it out. <laughs> and I think that what a lot of black folks have done is felt like that we have this default, out-of-the-box, white European Christian version that we all adhere to mm-hmm. without reading the instruction book yeah. or manual. And for us, as folks who are trying to be um, faithful to Scripture and faithful to the biblical text, we know that can't be anything further from the truth. And we have to continue to dispel that myth that this is a default setting for Christianity when the whole of Scripture and the whole of history says something different. Yeah. Yeah. It So, you know, and I get on this all the time, but I, I feel like I need to say it again. What we consider orthodoxy in terms of Christian doctrine and theology. What we consider orthodoxy, the idea that the Bible is inspired, mm. um, that, that Christ's death is an atoning death, um, a literal reading of the scripture in the parts that we are to take literally. Those are African concepts. Those came from African theologians. Yeah. And that is the faith that we have. Now, what happened just historically, and we're going to get back on your mama in a minute, but what happened, John, <laughs> was when the Catholic Church, what, what happened was when the, when the church that was oppressed 
became the state church. Mm-hmm. Then white practice, not necessarily theology, but white practice that, that birthed a white theology became oppressive. And so the individual people weren't allowed to read the Bible. The mass, the, the service uh, was conducted in all Latin. The Latin that only the priest and, and highly educated knew, but not the commoners. And so you just had to take the priest's word for it. Um, and then you have a reformation. Martin Luther comes by reading St. Augustine, and he tries to reform the Catholic Church because he's read the black church father, yeah. the African church father, St. Augustine. Yeah. And, and, and that, is, that is where you're getting this idea that it's white from. That's, but, but Luther and, and, and those who began to then reclaim or restate um, the authority of the Bible in everyday life were reading the old church fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and no, Jesus was not invented in the Council of Nicaea in 325. We've got, we've got, <laughs> we've got scripture that was written before that, and we have uh, sermons and writings of what they call anti or before Nicene church fathers. Mm. Um, long before Constantine was born, um, people were saying Jesus is Lord, that he lived sinlessly, died in our place, and rose triumphantly from the grave. Mm. That precedes Constantine by hundreds of years. Yeah, I've always said that the gospel works best in the margins mm-hmm. and among those who are marginalized. And then when those in power get a hold of it, mm-hmm. it's a whole nother ball game. That's the problem, yep. So even now, man, and, and we're gonna get back to your mama for sure, mm-hmm. but even now, I think that when we're in this space where folks need to be doing more listening mm-hmm. than talking in our culture, that they find it hard because they've always operated from a position of power mm-hmm. with the gospel. Yeah. But now the marginalized are coming up and saying, hey, this is how the gospel has always worked. Maybe it's time for you to listen to those of us who have been operating in this space forever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and as such, this is, this is why we then, if, if these two, if these Two things historically are both African, if, like ancestral worship and following Jesus Christ historically are both African. If they're both practices that African people did um, in ancient times, um, then how do we distinguish between which one we are to do, which one we're not to do, and can we pull them together? Can we, can we syncretize them? Can we make those two things agree? Can I put an altar on my fireplace for my grandmother uh, and, and for my great-grandfather uh, and, and my auntie, can I do that and follow Jesus? Or, or do I have to choose one or the other? And to do that, Pastor John, we got to turn to the scripture. We got to see what, what the Bible says about this, these practices. I really do think we do. And I think the one thing in, in the Old Testament I think we need to hone in on is a story that a lot of people might not know. Mm-hmm. And it seems scary. <laughs> it seems spooky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think we need to get into it because it is a very clear instance in Scripture where you see an uh, instance of potential necromancy yep. um, in a king, an mm-hmm. Israelite king. So we're going to look at First uh, Samuel chapter 28. 
And the entire passage is well worth your read, but in the interest of time, we're going to just look at some verses, but I'll provide some context now. Mm-hmm. So Saul is at this point at his wit's end. Yeah. Uh, he's about to die in the next chapter, and he's gotten to a point where he's like, I need to figure something out. So he goes to this medium. And, 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 and what, what Saul is trying to figure out is how to hold on to a kingdom that God has already said will no longer be his. He is the first king of Israel. He has been disobedient to God, and God says, I'm raising up someone else. God has already anointed David. Um, David has already proved himself as a warrior and as a leader, and Saul is trying to figure out how he can hold on to the kingdom, how he can hold on to power. Mm. How, how can I hold on to power That's good. Um, in, when God is clearly raising up someone who was uh, marginalized initially Ooh. because when we first find him he's out in the sheep field and his dad won't even invite him to meet the preacher mm. yeah that's David yeah yeah so that's what we're seeing here mm-hmm. and in addition to that Saul has lost his boy mm-hmm. Samuel mm-hmm. the prophet who has been with him along the journey and he's at this point has died he's died so he goes to this medium and has a bright idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and listen to what his bright idea is. He is in, in the text in verse number eight. I'll start there. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And this is a, a medium. And he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? She, think, she thinks he's tricking her. Mm-hmm. But, but Saul swore to her by the Lord. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel... She cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? She said, An old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now listen, <laughs> we got a couple of interpretive issues that we need to address. Yeah. Um, this necromancy works or seems to work. Mm-hmm. Um, some suggest, some scholars suggest that as you read further in the text, this entity that rises um, may not be actually Samuel. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe it is. I, I believe, I say all the time, there are things that are spiritual that are not always holy. Um, I believe that, that this is Samuel's spirit, that this woman, through some um, divination, brings Samuel up. So, so let's start, let's start, John, with the, with the premise, and, and super saints, <laughs> hold on. Let's start with the premise that this is real right let's start with the premise that you could possibly bring up and communicate with an ancestor 
does that make it okay? There you go. Yeah. Does it make it okay? Well, let, let's read a little further then. In verse 15, then Samuel said to Saul, listen to the words, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me? Listen, <laughs> since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce word of wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you uh, this day. So if it's real, if this is Samuel, and if you can touch your ancestors, mm. listen to Samuel's words. He says, one, bringing me up is disturbing me. Mm -hmm. You're bothering me. Yep. And two, don't ask me, ask God. Right. That's the, is that, that, <laughs> he says, don't ask me. Ask God. And you already got your answer in 1 Samuel 15. Yeah. When it talked about you were even attempting this act before you did it. So I, it's, it's just baffling to me <laughs> seeing in this text. And then Samuel is like, bro, why, why, why are you messing with me? Yeah. Leave, leave me alone. <laughs> leave me alone. If, if, if ancestral worship, necromancy, bringing them up, if they can communicate you, if communicate with you, if it works, mm -hmm. they should be pointing you to God. Yeah. If if it's real, mm -hmm. they should be. I say it all the time. You, those of you who've heard me preach um, from time to time, you've heard me say, "Why would you trust your grandmother, but not trust the God your grandmother trusted?" That's good. That's good. Yeah. And so I I. I don't have to look to, I, again, let's go back to last week's discussion, the last, last session's discussion. Um, this, again, speaks to the sufficiency of one's own relationship with God. Do I believe that God and Jesus Christ are fully sufficient for my future, for my character formation, for my, for my physical health, for the direction of my life? According to this, mm. the ancestor Samuel <laughs> said, don't ask me, mm. ask God, because God is sufficient. God's word that Saul already had yeah. was coming to pass as God had already said it, and it was the Saul already had the answer because God had already spoken. Yeah, and, f and for the sake of holding on to power, mm -hmm. he decided to do this, as yeah. you mentioned earlier. It yeah. just... It just is baffling. So let's look at another text here. And this generally just goes to the prophets in the culture and, and trying to understand the culture around them and knowing that God was still at work in, in the middle, midst of them. So Jeremiah chapter 16. And we're going to look at verses 5 through 8, but specifically also look at verse 6 in its context. So uh, verse 5 says, For thus saith the Lord, 
Do not enter the house of mourning or go to lament or grieve for them. For I've taken away my peace from this people. My steadfast love and mercy declares the Lord. Verse 6. Both great and small shall not die in this land. They shall not be buried and no one should lament for them or cut himself or make himself bald for them. Now I want to put a pin there because this speaks to the cultural reality of what's happening around the nation of Israel. Right. So in that culture, when people did die, they had these practices of cutting themselves Mm -hmm. or shaving them their heads as signs of mourning. Right. Now, we know that there are signs of mourning that happen even contemporarily right now with us, right, where we are able to mourn in certain ways. Well, they did it in ways that were to conjure up or even honor the ancestors so they would cut themselves mm-hmm. or actually shave their heads in this context right 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 so so you see shaving the head in scripture in a couple of ways um one is just as a sign of grief mm-hmm. um but that's not what this particular shaving of the head is in the pagan practices uh, around the people of god this shaving of the head was not just a sign of grief it was like an offering mm. It was it was damaging one's self as an act of worship for the for the ancestors uh, or for the ancestor and 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 listen to um, li- listen to the to the harshness the the, the seeming harshness of, of God in this text because what what God is really talking about um, is dealing with Israel's enemies um, with the intent of purifying Israel. Uh, bringing them back to full uh, and complete allegiance and fidelity to God. Yeah. And so God says, when I deal with them, don't, don't mourn with them, so to speak. Let me, let me have my way with them. Um, and, and while they're mourning, the reason you shouldn't participate in their mourning is because they mourn by venerating the ancestor, yeah. by, by deifying the ancestor, by making the ancestor a god mm. rather than just by mourning the loss. And God says, I don't want you participating in that at all. Yeah. And, and there is a proper modes of and ways in which we can mourn those who have passed. For sure. I think um, just kind of put, providing some context in some Christians' minds, like if you mourn the loss of a loved one, that means you don't have faith mm. in God and he seeing, being able to see them again in eternity. But I think that we have enough scriptural examples where we see mourning, Old Testament and New Testament, that occurred even in the life of Jesus. Very much where so. Where he cried, not just cried over, over Lazarus, but that word. It's like this deep groan and weeping. It's, it's bitter. It's, yeah. it's, it's that heaving cry yeah that jesus the ugly cry the ugly joint yeah. the ugly joint yeah um um that jesus jesus did at the, at the graveside of his friend lazarus mm-hmm. uh we and you know the bible says blessed are those who mourn i mean there are um there are scriptures throughout the the canon that that say mourning done right mm. is good and holy and um and indeed healthy yeah. um, for, for the people of God if we are mourning 
the loss of the person, but not trying to put them on par with God yeah. himself. Can I, can I just talk with you about black men for a minute mm. and grief mm. and dealing with mourning and loss where there's this notion that black men see it as a sign of weakness. Yeah. If yeah. they are mourning or if they're grieving the loss of a loved one that they have this sense they have to be strong for the family mm -hmm. without being able to deal with the grief. And I do feel like that a lot of men go to their early graves because they aren't able to grieve properly over the loss of a loved one with this facade of having this strength that they don't necessarily have in that moment. Yeah, I'm, I, you know, it's, it's, it's been one of those cultural things um, that is that's so damaging, so dangerous, and and you know you're talking about just grief now, but just emotions generally. Yeah. Um, men aren't supposed to express themselves emotionally, generally speaking, except anger. Mm. That's true. Now, 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 I can I can I can express my anger, but I can't express my hurt. I can't express my grief. I can't express my sorrow, and I can't be but so happy mm. without it being considered feminine. Mm. And it's a lie. Yeah. You know, the full gamut and range of emotions um, are part of the human experience, and they are part of our imago dei, being made in the image of God, because all of those emotions, including grief, um, are emotions that the scripture reveals God also yeah. uh, experiences and expresses. Mm. Um, and it's just unhealthy yeah. to lock those things up inside of us. It creates tension in our bodies. Um, it creates um, 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 dysfunction in our, in our minds. And it is one of the reasons that we succumb in many ways to bad unhealthy unholy outlets because I'm getting it out albeit in a way that is not healthy and holy mm. uh, and so we, we have to learn to, 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 to be fully human uh, and it does not make me any less of a man when I cry when I when I grieve when I say my feelings are hurt uh, because it's a part of it's part of the human experience and we need to teach our sons that it's all right to do so as well. Yeah, yeah. So b before we turn to the New Testament and look at some New Testament examples of this uh, potential ancestor worship, I did want to look at this text in Isaiah, and mm -hmm. I believe that it it gives us kind of this juxtaposition mm -hmm. um, of inquiring of the dead and then being able to inquire of God himself mm -hmm. that Isaiah points out in chapter number 8 verse 19. Yeah, that's good. And this is after Isaiah saw that grand vision of mm. God in Isaiah 6. Yes, yes. And he sees himself as a man of unclean lips and then God begins to, to, to tell the rest of his story, mm -hmm. Isaiah's story, as he becomes a prophet of God. And we see it here in uh, Isaiah 8, 19 where he says and when they say to you and these are the culture surrounding them mm -hmm. right he's talking to the people of god now inquire of the mediums and necromancers 
who chirp and mutter. Now those two words, <laughs> yeah, that's a whispering mm-hmm. and muttering. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a contrast between these necromancers mm-hmm. and what's coming next. Yes. Because there's a whisper and a muttering uncertainty mm-hmm. wrapped in those, right? But then we see here, it says, should not a people inquire of their God? Right. Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? He asked this rhetorical question. You got God. You got God. <laughs> Why are you asking these folks who are whispering stuff that they're not even sure about? Right. When God clearly talks to you and is clearly able to give you truth, but you're turning the folks who are going to chirp or whisper yeah. and mutter. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's such a – and that question – is so why would you consult the dead on behalf of the living so good what what do you what can the dead tell you what can the dead teach you that you can't get from the almighty creator god of the universe Mm. Mm. you know and that's you know this is why syncretism doesn't work and by the way um uh, we've talked before we start uh this this discussion on camera it's not just Christianity with, with, with something like ancestral worship. People are then putting together ancestral worship with tarot and tarot with uh, astrology and, and those kinds of things. And the thing is, they don't jive. Yeah. They don't go together. It's, it's like a peanut butter and motor oil sandwich. Those things don't <laughs> go together. You cannot say you believe in a supreme, almighty, all-knowing, eternal God and still believe you need to consult the dead wow. your ancestors for answers in life mm. they don't jive together because again if the Samuel experience if they would talk to you if they are talking to you they will tell you mm-hmm. go to God yeah. you got a God to go to Wow. Yeah. yeah so, so that's what we see that rhetorical question rings all the way over to the New Testament mm-hmm. in the book of Luke yep. with the rich man Lazarus, right? Yep. So yep. we're going to look at Luke chapter 16 and see a similar question that that really, or statement that really resonates with what Isaiah says through the telling of this story. Now, for context, this story, mm-hmm. actual story, or illustration now listen <laughs> that's an incredible question that my honest answer is I don't know because it doesn't take the form um, we consider it a parable most of the time traditionally but it doesn't take the form of parables and generally when a parable is being spoken by Jesus the gospel writer says Jesus told them a parable saying, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, is this an actual event? Is, is Christ revealing something that happened um, in, 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 in history and in time? Uh, I don't exactly know. I, I think it's a parable. I think it's a parable, but I won't, I'm not going to argue that dogmatically. I don't, where do you land on that? Yeah, I'm in the same space too. I, I think that when you see, especially Luke, 
mm-hmm. um, as a gospel writer, you'll see that he talks about Jesus telling them a parable. Mm-hmm. So it's always kind of this precursor to the parable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I think that also um, the rich man being unnamed, mm-hmm. uh, this Lazarus, not sure who that person is. Right. Uh, I think that he also told it for the purpose of making a point, which he always did with his storytelling. Mm-hmm. So I think, to your point, we don't know. And as pastors, we're okay with saying it. Hey, it is, <laughs> hey, hey, we'll, we'll understand it better by and by. But but it does not change what Jesus is communicating. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's a parable or whether this is an actual event, it doesn't change what he's saying. Yeah. The point is still the same. Yeah. So let's look at what he is communicating here in this text with the rich man and Lazarus. And I'm going to read the whole thing because I think it's going to be helpful for us to have a discussion. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father to send him mm-hmm. to my father's house. Yep. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them him hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, mm-hmm. send them the dead guy. Yep. They will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither Will they be convinced that if someone should rise from the dead? Yeah. I mean, so many things to unpack. And I know that one of the questions I get about this text all the time is, um, does it does it prove that there's a place called purgatory, mm-hmm. that place between heaven and hell uh, for souls that are that are not good enough to go to heaven, not bad enough to go to hell? Um, what what I believe this is, uh, John, is what would be considered the waiting room of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, People who died expecting Christ, died expecting the Messiah, died in faith that that we're going to talk about in just a moment in Hebrews, those persons were taken to a place of comfort while they awaited the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. This term Hades or hell Um, is a place of torment in the underworld, but it is not the final hell that we see at the end of the book of Revelation that's even now still under construction. Mm. It's it's where those who did not die Mm. expecting Messiah um, would be in in torment outside of the loving presence of God. So Abraham uh, 
is is the father of the faithful. Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom, as it's traditionally translated, speaks of a place of comfort, um, a place of 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 rest while waiting on Messiah. Mm-hmm. What what we really are getting at from from the this story is that the things that are given to us yeah. in Scripture for, for here Moses and the prophets. Scripture is sufficient. Enough. Yeah. It's sufficient. Yeah. That, that again, it, it's even if Lazarus was in this text to come up from the grave and go to um, the rich man's brothers as he asks, hmm. if they won't believe what they already have, that won't convince them either. Mm-hmm. There's a sense that this, this supernatural event mm-hmm. um, would be more convincing to them than what they already had in Moses and the prophets. Yeah. And so Jesus tells this parable to say, no, we're not, we're not conjuring up dead folks for the sake of the gospel. You already, you already have it yeah. in the writings of Moses and the prophets. And now as us, as new Te- new covenant believers, we have the full picture. Yes. And yes. so we now have the complete understanding that Jesus is the fulfillment of all scripture. Yes. John, I want to I want to take a a quick little turn on this because the last thing Jesus says, if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. He's saying that prophetically, even about his own resurrection. Yes. And I want to show you that that's true at the end of Luke, mm. at the end of Luke. There is a there is a there is a. There is a, uh, an incident in Luke chapter 24. This is a bit of a detour. Um, That's good, though. That proves that the resurrected Jesus even used the scripture to prove who he was. Mm-hmm. So, so Luke 24, beginning at verse uh, 13, this is after Jesus has risen from the dead. That very day, two of them, that's two of his disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened while they were talking and discussing together. Jesus himself, Hmm. the resurrected Jesus, drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? Hmm. And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our grief, our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Mm. Over some women in our, of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Mm. Listen, and he said to them, this is the resurrected Jesus. Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe and to believe, listen, all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Mm. he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wow. Even the resurrected Jesus used the scriptures Mm. to prove he was the resurrected Jesus. And the crazy part is, later in the text, they say, did not our hearts burn when he not showed up? When he spoke to us, by the way, the scripture is sufficient, even if it's possible, even if you can bring Samuel back from the dead, Mm. Samuel's going to say, go to God. Yeah. The word of God is sufficient. Wow. Wow. So that's what that that parable, that text is really all about. And we really want to talk about this text in Hebrew because we think it really captures the heart of what we're trying to get Mm. at in Hebrews 12, right? Yeah, yeah. So Hebrews 11, Faith Hall of Fame, you got all the Hall of Famers in there, <laughs> right? You got all the folks who were faithful to God, and they just lay them out. Yeah. You talk about Abraham and others whose faith just really sustained them um, and shows that Hall of Fame. And then in Hebrews 12, verse 1, and I'll re- read 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, after hearing about all these people, yeah, all these faithful folks, right? Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the writer of Hebrews here says, y'all got these ancestors right. that y'all know and love and could possibly venerate. Mm-hmm. But here's what we want you to do. They're just a cloud of witnesses surrounding you mm-hmm. as you run your race. And then verse one, verse two says, but ultimately Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. John, listen, that he, the, the, the writer, and Hebrews might be a sermon, so it might be the manuscript of a sermon preached. Mm. The, the whole point of the book of Hebrews is hold on to Jesus. Mm. Don't back up off of Jesus. Yeah. He's sufficient. He's better than angels and Mosaic law, and he's a better priest than the, than the high priest uh, of, of Israel, all of those things. Um, he can offer one sacrifice and sit down. He doesn't have to keep offering sacrifice after sacrifice. And then it's going to delineate all of these people who died waiting on him. Mm. Mm. And what it's going to say is if they can die, live faithfully, and, and live with faith while waiting on him, you can live faithfully now that he's come. Mm. more than them, more than you have the advantage over Abraham, over Isaac, over Jacob, over Sarah. You have the advantage over Gideon and Mm. Deborah and Barak in the scripture. The advantage you have is that he's already come. And so the cloud of witnesses is not a group of ancestors to try to communicate with. Mm. They are simply inspiration because their lives are all pointing you to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the point of this text 
and that's the point of our our episode here is hey we got we have our own cloud of witnesses right mm-hmm. we have ancestors who have gone before them before us and we celebrate them but ultimately as believers man all those folks stories are supposed to inspire us but also inspire us to look to Jesus who yes. is the author and finisher of our faith right yeah so i think that as we wind down this session and talk about our ancestors and realize the importance of knowing who our ancestors are and celebrating their stories without getting to a point where we venerate or idolize them. I think one of the things I want folks to know um, as we close here is that our ancestors' stories are really meant to inspire us mm-hmm. and not to make them idols. Right. And that's one of the things we wanted to make sure was clear during this session as we talk about channeling the, the elders or the ancestors or calling on the ancestors or elders, they are just meant to be inspirations. Yeah. That, that God himself should be the focus and Jesus Christ should be the focus of our faith and that those folks, they are a cloud of witnesses to help strengthen us in the process, but we can't talk to them or speak with them. Mm-hmm. Listen, listen, let me, let me put it this way, John. Um, if I go to a restaurant um, and my food is bad, my food is cold, there's a hair in my food, my server has done all they can do, mm-hmm. I want to speak to the manager. Mm, that's good. Our ancestors who served Christ or have served in the faith are just what's on my table, what's in my life, if I have a problem with it, I've got to I've got to go above them mm. and I got to talk to the manager. Yeah. That's good. And why would I ask another created being for guidance when I can just ask the creator himself for guidance. I, I think that's important, but and I think we also need to be careful um, not to turn our family albums into family altars. Yeah, that's good. Um, to, to, to grab hold of the, of the reality um, that memories are good. Memories are, are, are healthy. They're helpful. Um, the good memories that, that inspire us, the, the, the difficult memories um, that, that are oftentimes things that have driven us to God. Mm-hmm. Um, that, but, the, but, the, but the people themselves are people we should remember fondly if, if we can uh, and love on uh, fondly and look forward to seeing one day, um, but, but they cannot be our God. Yeah. They can't and, be our God. And I also think that when it comes to prayers and petitions, that our prayers as believers should always be God-directed. Mm-hmm. He is the only one that can hear and answer our prayers. If you're a believer and you have an ancestor who has gone on to be with the Lord, they are with the Lord in eternity. And they are not looking to answer your prayers because their prayers were answered by this same creator God that you now need to turn to to petition him to answer your prayers. So we need to make sure that we always make our petitions and prayers Godward yeah. and God-focused. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, you know, then somebody might ask, well, what, what can I do, what kind of practices can I engage in to honor those who've gone before me um, and, 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 and remember them and hold up their memory high? I think 
um, more than anything, it is to take the legacy of the life they lived and to make it one of the patterns mm -hmm. for your own. Mm -hmm. If you have a faithful mother or grandmother, a father, or grandfather, someone who's gone on before you, who has laid a foundation, and, 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 and maybe not in your immediate um, um, family, but, but we as a people uh, have ancestors who have endured all kinds of injustice and evil in, in, in the U.S., and they persevered, and they prayed, and they held on to their faith. And I think the best way to honor them is to honor them by continuing to pursue justice and also by continuing to persevere in the faith as they did. Yeah. Well, this has been episode two of the Growth Factor broadcast, a ministry broadcast of the St. Mark Baptist Church here in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, my name is Pastor John. I'm one of the co-hosts, and this is the senior pastor. Uh, Philip L. Pointer Sr., he's also a co-host, and we just got done talking about your mama. Hopefully, y'all not mad at us, and we were helpful. We, we definitely want to be helpful in providing you with uh, biblically uh, faithful text and context around our topics. Next go-round, we're going to encourage you to do one thing, stay off the rocks. We're going to be talking about crystals, y'all. Yeah, man. The crystals. Yeah, yeah You ready man. for that one? Listen, that we're going to get in trouble again. You might, we, you might lose some members. I Listen, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> you know, my granddaddy said that when the doors of the church are open, they swing both ways. Take you in and let you out. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Well, thank you guys for joining us. And listen, I want you to go over to subscribe to the podcast, rate, review the podcast. It's available on all platforms. We're grateful for you guys tuning in. And we'll see y'all next go round as we encourage you stay off them rocks. God bless. Thank you for listening. This has been The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And be sure to subscribe to our channel.